Uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, as Kev mentioned earlier, welcome, and you've turned up in the middle of uh, a series we're doing through the book of 1 Peter. And uh, I did ask when we first kicked this off that we'd all get in and read 1 Peter, so assuming you've all done that, and you know where we're up to and where we're going, which is really good. Uh, we're just at the beginning of chapter 2, and if you have read it, you will understand that Basically, towards the end of chapter 2 into chapters 3, 4, and 5, Peter's really talking about how do we live this life in a way that says, I am a representative of God, God lives in me, I am um, in Christ, that's some of the language that's used, but it's still difficult to live in our world. It's difficult to live uh, respecting the authorities that are above us, it's difficult to live in relationship as husband and wife. It's difficult to live in community with one another. And most of the rest of the book will actually address those things. But where we land today is setting it up. I think Peter's really intentional about what he says in a couple of these verses to set us up to step into those ways to live. If we really understand who we are in Christ... We can live under the authority that sits above us in our governments. If we really understand who we are in Christ, we can sit in a marriage relationship that, that is just beautiful. If we really understand who we are in Christ, we can do life with one another, with those who are part of the family of God and those who are not yet part of it. And we can do all those things with a really clear understanding of who we are in Christ. So we're actually talking about an identity piece. If we can really get who Jesus says we are, who God says we are, regardless of what we feel, regardless of what we might think about ourselves, or regardless of what others might even say about us, if we can really get this piece, then we can step into everything else that Peter unpacks about how we live life as a Christian in a non-Christian culture. And do it in a way that actually points people to God. Do it in a way that, that people look at us and look at us as, as doing life together and says, I want to be part of that because there's something beautiful and special about it. There's something different about it. Now remember, Peter, one of the apostles of Jesus, spent a lot of time with Jesus, uh, heard the things Jesus said, watched the things Jesus did. And out of that He's writing this letter to, to a bunch of churches to say, hey, if you can just get this, it's going to change the way you approach everything. So with that in mind, we're kicking off in chapter 2, uh, verse 4, we start with. So it says here, as you come to him, now this might be familiar to you because this part we're about to read is our focus for the year. And we unpack this in depth earlier in the year. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, 
But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Another quote from Scripture, and then another one he uses. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. And then it gets to the part that I want to unpack today. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That two verses there, verses 9 and 10, there's so much in that in terms of who we are, of who God sees us to be. And the language that's being used is language that the Jewish people would have fully understood. Now remember, Peter is a Jew, Jesus was a Jew, the Jewish nation that had been birthed from the person of Abraham right through the generations... Uh, this was language that they understood. This was language that they talked. And as Peter is writing this letter to a bunch of Christians who are now following Jesus, a big percentage of them were Jewish people as well. So the language he's using is language that makes sense. And there's a number of uh, statements here, a number of claims that, that actually speak right to the core of who we are, who God says we are. And the first one is that I am chosen. He says there that you are a chosen people. I want to look today, I know there's a scripture up there and I'll get to that in a sec, but I want to look today at what scripture says about scripture. It would be very easy for me to stand up here and talk some stuff. Um, but I just want to use scripture to unpack what this is saying. Because when we really get into this, for example, being chosen, there is so much throughout scripture that deals with that, that if we could just pinpoint it and actually start to own it, start to believe it, it changes the way not only we live, but it changes the way we think about ourselves, it changes the way we think about others. And for each of these things that we want to look at today, and there's five of them, uh, that's the truth of it. Scripture talks about this over and over and over and over. Unfortunately, many of the voices we listen to don't come from Scripture. So we have this other perception of who we are. We have this looking in the mirror and we see this person and we declare who we truly are knowing all our faults, all our insecurities, all our failures. We allow other people to speak into us, to declare who we truly are. And often we live into that. We allow our society and our culture to speak into the reality of who we are, based on what sort of job we might have, where we live, how much finance we have. And we allow all those voices to shape our own thinking with who we truly are. So I want, to, I want us to wipe that away this morning and go, let's look at what God says we are. 
And if only we would believe that and start to live into that, it changes. So we've got Peter writing this, saying that we're a chosen people. But I just want to look at this passage that Paul says to the Ephesian church. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Just pause there. You're looking in the mirror. You're having one of those pity sessions that we often have. And you're remembering, you're bringing to mind all the things that are not good about you as you're looking in the mirror. And you're remembering the things that others have said about you. And so that person that you are speaking negatively about, thinking negatively about, is somebody who is united with Christ. Just think about the impact of that. He goes on, even before the wor- he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So there you are, looking in the mirror, thinking all these negative things. And the truth of it says that we are in Christ, we've been chosen, we are holy and we are without fault. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. I've said it before, if God has a fridge, your photo's on it. He loves you, he's proud of you. It gives him great pleasure to have you be dwelling in him and with him. Now, being chosen, being accepted is something we all strive for. We strive to be accepted. Uh, Tanya and I were watching a documentary just yesterday or the day before about um, San Quentin Prison in San Francisco. And it was a documentary about the inmates and what life was like in prison. And just as they told story after story, we, we just said to each other, there's all these crimes that people did and all these things that people did, they just have this deep longing to be accepted. And so a lot of them were gang-related. And when you hear the stories about why they joined these gangs, it was because they were accepted. And all of us want to be accepted. Um, I remember being that kid in the playground where it comes to lunchtime and you're be able to play touch footy and two people nominate themselves as captains and they pick the teams. And there's always that one or two kids who are left out who are not wanted. Always. And I remember that. So when I became a PE teacher, I used to pick the kids that I thought possibly would be left out and I'd make them the captains. And then they pick their best friends first and all the sporty, cool kids, the ones you get picked last. I don't know if I should have taken much pride, pride in that happening, but uh, there was something nice about it. Because I was one of those ratbag kids who would leave kids out when I was younger. And you hate that, that, that sense of not being chosen. Not being chosen. And this says to us, Jesus chose us before he even made everything. 
Jesus himself said this. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Saying this to his disciples. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit and fruit that will last. One truth that I want you to get this morning is you have been chosen by God. Just like any invitation, we have, a, we have a response to that. God is inviting us into life with him. He has chosen us for that. And we, not being made as robots who are pre-programmed, but being made as human beings in God's image with free will, have a choice to respond to that. The second thing, I am capable... We've talked about this a little bit earlier in in the year, about being a royal priest. You are a royal priesthood, Peter is saying in this passage. Now this, as I said, is, is Jewish language. Listen to this passage. Where's my page? There it is. This passage, so Moses has led the people out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've had about two weeks in the wilderness and they come to Mount Sinai. Sorry, two months in the wilderness. And at this point, Moses climbs the mountain. He goes up before God and the Lord talked to him and he said, this is what I want you to tell the people. And it says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Now, we talked a little bit earlier when we unpacked our our theme for the year that a priest is someone who represents God to man and represents man to God. So one thing about your identity is that you are completely capable of doing that. Not many of you would sit there and think, I'm a priest. I've got that one done. Doing that every day. So I still think, when you hear the word priest, we still think black clothes, little white collar thing. We are priests. We can represent God to man And we can represent man to God. That's the role of a priest. We are capable of that. And the beautiful thing about it is it's best done in community. In this passage we're looking at, God is talking through Moses to a nation of people. In the New Testament, God talks to the church in terms of doing this. God has made us completely capable When we get to the other end of Scripture, when we get to Revelation, we read this. There's this song being sung in heaven about Jesus. And part of the song says this, You are worthy, Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. That's talking about you and I. We are priests. And what I love about this, if God has chosen us 
and God has made us capable to be priests, then it's not up to our own intellect, strength, whatever, to do it. He empowers us to do what he's called us to do. And when we read in, um, in Corinthians, Paul writing to the church in Corinthians, listen to what he says in this context. He says, it's not what we think we are qualified. Sorry, it's not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of this new covenant. That's that priestly role. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. God places, we just sung about that in that beautiful song, God the Father, Jesus the Son, Holy Spirit. God places the Holy Spirit in us, God himself in us, so that what he calls us to do to represent himself amongst the world, he's doing it through us. It's not about you or I. It's not about how clever we are or how much Bible we know or how holy we seem to be. It's the Spirit living in us that enables us to be priests to those around us. We are chosen. We are priests. The next thing we see is that we are valuable. We are valuable. You are a holy nation. Remember, holy means that set apart. That set apart, it's different. It's holy, extremely valuable. And as we think about anything with value, value comes from who owns it. You could walk into my house and there could be something, whether it's a painting, a a picture, an item of clothing, whatever, that I go, no, I'm not letting go of that. That's valuable to me may not mean anything to you. Maybe there's that sentimental value. Maybe someone very special had gifted it to us, but, but to us, that's valuable. So value comes from who owns it. We are gods. God is our creator, our sustainer. God is the one who is my father. And when we see on the screen there, this is Jesus talking, and this is... Um, this is in the Luke version, but part of what was part of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says to the people listening to him, he says, look at the ravens, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than birds. I was on a retreat last weekend. There was something beautiful about just watching birds do what birds do. Now, I don't know because I can't understand them, but they don't seem to worry about anything. They just do what they do. They eat and they talk to one another and they nest and they raise their young and they eat and God just provides their food and provides their water. How much more valuable are we, the pinnacle of his creation, the only part of his creation in which his image has been stamped, How much more valuable are we? Because we are gods. But value is not only about who owns it, it's about what somebody is willing to pay for it. And I remember doing a a message earlier in the year where I showed some paintings. And I couldn't believe the, the value some of these paintings were sold for. But value is what somebody is willing to pay 
We know the story of Jesus and what he did for us. But very simply, as Paul's reminding the Corinthians, God paid a high price for you. He paid his son's life for you. We are valuable. We are chosen. We are priests. We are valuable. And also, we are loved. We are loved. I think that's one thing that all humanity would have in common, the desire to love and be loved. And I think that is true for all of humanity, regardless of of era, regardless of context, regardless of culture, because we are stamped with the image of God, and God is love. So when we look at this idea that I am loved... Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Eternally loved. And two things I love about about God's love, two things that are great about God's love, is that it's unconditional and it's unending. It's unconditional and it's unending. And God's love is not based on me or my behaviour. God's love is based on him. That's something we need to get through our heads. Quite often, in our human relationships to one another, love becomes conditional. If you are good, or if you do the right thing, or if you do what I want you to do, I will express love to you. But if not, I will will withdraw that. That's not how God, God works. God's love is unconditional and unending. It's based on him. I'm actually eternally loved because God is love. And we see here from Jeremiah, long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love I have drawn myself to you. And what I love about that in the context of what Jeremiah is saying, these people kept getting it wrong and God kept loving And they kept getting it wrong and God kept loving. And they kept getting it wrong and there was consequences that came with that and God kept loving. One of the psalmists says this, For the Lord is good, his unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. God's love is not dependent on your behaviour. Some of us need to hear that and own that because we live life as though it's true. You know what it's like. You're you're doing life and all of a sudden you get caught up in some sin or some temptation and and the next thing you find is that I don't want to connect with God, I can't connect with God, I can't pray, I don't deserve to pray, he won't think I'm worthy of even connecting with him And, and we have this distance that comes from us, not from him. All we have to do is look at the prodigal son story. This guy did everything wrong he could possibly do and the father is looking and running out with open arms. Some of us really need to this morning, I think, really take that in, that God's love is not based on your behaviour. It's based on who he is. Just changing that thinking can change so much of how we live, not only in relationship to ourselves with God, but our relationship with with others. 
Imagine showing that unconditional love to those around you, those you live with. Because you understand that that's how God the Father loves you. John, the apostle, really got that. And when we read not only his gospel, but some of his later letters, talks about this really well. I just want to show this passage. This is from 1 John. So God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. Remember he's talking to people of faith here. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Ties us right back to the idea that we are priests. If we actually live in relationship with one another where love is evident, we are showing others what God is like and that's one of the role of a priest. It's a beautiful picture. And the fifth thing, I am... Forgiven. I am forgiven. Once you had not received mercy, Peter's saying, but now you have received mercy. This passage that's up here would be quite familiar to a lot of us. There is no condemnation. For those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Do you know God is never surprised at your sin? There's nothing you can do that shocks him. I can't imagine him, wherever he is, sitting on his throne in heaven going, I can't believe he just did that. Who would have thought? All we have to do is read the scriptures. There's not much that goes on in our world that's not recorded as as this is something that humanity can fall into. Anything you think of, it's probably in scripture. God's not surprised by our sin. But the thing that I, I, I want to point out in this is And you've probably heard this if you've been around church for a while, that God forgives. Where I think this gets hard for us is that many of us struggle to forgive ourselves. It's nearly like God saying, why are you still carrying that? I've dealt with that. I've forgotten it. And we pick it up and carry it as though it's it's part of our identity. And others remind us of it and the enemy reminds us of it. And we start to think that defines who I am. God's going, oh, I've forgiven you. I've forgiven. I like, I like this passage. In Isaiah, he says, But I, yes, I am the one who takes care of your sins. That's what I do. I don't keep a list of your sins. Now, God knows everything. I think we, we can establish that. If we're talking about the God of the Bible, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent, God knows all that. 
So we, we settle in that and go, okay, but God knows all this. God knows what I've done wrong. But Scripture clearly says he will choose to remember our sins no more. He will remove them as far as the east is from the west. I used to get confused with that passage because I'd always think of the earth as a sphere. So if you go really, really far east, you end up being west, what was originally west. But let's, let's go linear, not circular. Earth is not, no, it's not a flat earth conspiracy. That's not what I'm saying. That, that could start something, that's good. I'm totally forgiven. Sometimes we want to own that for ourselves, but we don't want to extend that to others. Happy to say I'm totally forgiven, that Jesus has forgiven me, but I'm going to hold something over you. I'm going to hold a grudge against you. I'm not going to forgive you for that. Jesus talks about this pretty clearly in the Sermon on the Mount, just after he does the Lord's Prayer, which, by the way, good segue, tonight, Lord's Prayer... Peter Carblis is unpacking that, the first of a four-week series. Love you to come along and be part of that. But after he does the Lord's Prayer, he goes into this idea, if you, if you truly understand that you're forgiven, you will forgive others. It's a natural response. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So not only am I chosen and I'm a priest and I'm capable to be a priest and I'm valuable and I'm loved and I'm forgiven, if those five things can become part of who I think of myself, of how I think of myself... Regardless of my circumstances, if we allow the truth of Scripture to wash over us and to shape the way we see ourselves through the lens of of Jesus, through the way God sees us, it changes the way we live. It completely changes the way we live. And, And Peter has done this in this passage of Scripture because he's about to unpack, as he goes through the rest of this letter, If you get this stuff, if you understand who you truly are, then you can step into all these other situations and you'll be okay. And that's where we're going to continue to head over the next few weeks. What it looks like to live under the authority of the governments placed over us. What it looks like to live in a marriage relationship. What it looks like to live in a a community, not only a Christian community, but the wider community. And when we have our identity piece in place, that shapes and drives the way we engage in all of that in a way that shows people what God's truly like. It really is a great picture. Let me pray for us. So Father God, I want to thank you for just the inspiration of your word, that through your word, through, through characters who, who lived millennia ago, and understood who you were and what you're calling us to be, that through the wisdom we find in Scripture, through the themes that are evident through Scripture, through all of that, God, you can speak to us clearly and tell us who we truly are.
So I ask through your Holy Spirit that you would start to shape some of our thinking, some of those deep held beliefs right in the core of who we are and we would replace them with who you say we are. And when you do that, God, we will live just in response to that in a way that brings glory and honour to you. That we know that we are chosen just as you have chosen all of humanity to be in relationship with you. And we have a response to that. We choose our response to that. And God, I thank you that you call us to be priests, to represent you in our world. And you through your Holy Spirit, you make us capable of doing that. It's not about our own cleverness to do that, but you would live in us and through us to show us the way. Lord, I thank you that we are valuable in your sight. We are valuable because we are yours and we are valuable because of what you paid for us to come back into relationship with you. God, I thank you that we are loved. And we are loved because of who you are. May we extend that same love to those around us. And I thank you that we are forgiven. That there is no longer a barrier between us and you, Father God. That we can boldly step into your throne room and be in your presence because we have been forgiven. May those things become part of who we see ourselves to be, who we know ourselves to be, so that when we live in that freedom, when we live in that relationship with you, others will see what you are truly like and come to know you for your glory and for your honour. We thank you for that. Amen.